Crossroads is a church for people journeying toward thriving faith in Jesus. We covenant to help people move people through our four objectives. By helping you, your neighbors, and friends discover Jesus by being a vibrant worshiping community that is a trusted presence in greater Baltimore. By making it simple to belong to our church family. By assisting you to identify your unique role to play in God's story and by offering support as you develop a personal faith that functions and serves in today's world. This is our mission. Together, we will help many people, including you and your family, flourish through life's crossroads. Hello and welcome to Through Life's Crossroads. This is a podcast ministry of Crossroads Church of the Nazarene. And today, uh, I, lead pastor, Pastor Tim Brooks, invited an old professor of mine, Dr. Richard Thompson of Northwest Nazarene University, to share leading into Pentecost just a little bit about uh, Pentecost in the Jewish culture and what the context is underneath the story in Acts chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2 begins with this statement, when the day of Pentecost came, and it seems to me that a lot of us in America 2021 don't have the immediate, immediate understanding of what the day of Pentecost was. The day of Pentecost was not the day the Spirit came. The day of Pentecost was already established. The coming of the Spirit upon the church happened on Pentecost, a celebration that was already occurring. And so I wanted to invite you into a little bit more of a deeper understanding of the text and the history and the Jewish culture that led to that moment. Now, I will confess to you before you listen to this that some of this is a little bit technical. Some of it is a little bit uh, uh, seminary class or Bible, Bible school class. Um, I, I don't think it's unengageable. But I do think that it takes uh, engaging with this just a little bit to try and come to understand how it is people study the scriptures, what it is um, that 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 taking classes and growing your knowledge of scripture invites you to understand underneath, behind, and around the text, so that you can read the Bible more clearly and understand what is happening in more engaging ways. I hope you enjoy this. Thank you again to Dr. Thompson for joining. And uh, like, comment, subscribe, make a comment. Let us know that you're listening, and uh, we look forward to engaging with you. Thanks again, and enjoy the podcast. All right, and welcome to this week's podcast, where I am joined by Dr. Richard Thompson, Professor of the New Testament at Northwest Nazarene University. Hello, Dr. Thompson. Greetings, uh, Timothy. Yeah. Um, I, as I wanted to introduce you to the people who will be listening to this from our congregation, um, you uh, teach at Northwest Nazarene University now, but you have a couple of connections that uh, seem noteworthy. Uh, in, in your early career, before you became a professor, you were a pastor, and you pastored on this district right down the road. That's right. Pastored in Rockville. I, I'm not sure if I should say when, because it seems like a long time ago. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, it wasn't that long ago, but still, um, still, uh, you, you're into your second career, so it, it wasn't last week either, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
And uh, and then also um, uh, earlier in your teaching career, you were my professor of New Testament in my undergrad studies at Olivet Nazarene University, which is a place that you graduated from with your bachelor's degree as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that also was a long time ago. Years. We won't talk about those years either. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> it's getting to that point. That's right. Well, I've invited you to come on today because your particular expertise in the New Testament is around uh, Luke and Acts. And um, I, I don't know if you'd had any interest in just sharing uh, what it is about those texts that inspired you to study them or, or what it is that you studied initially and what it is that you love about those books. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, uh, just how I got involved with those. Um, my, my first study of these books was in Bible quizzing uh, in, in high school. Uh, and so uh, that's where I first, you know, fell in love with the books, uh, you know, as, as a high school freshman and sophomore. Uh, yeah, and and actually, it's these two books that I did my my best work, you know, as a as a Bible quizzer, uh, and so yeah, and actually the Book of Acts was um, it was during that year that uh, that was my my best year, and so um, yeah, and and then even as a pastor, uh, I you know would come back to these two books and uh, preach from you know from them often. Um, you know, it's later in my doctoral work, uh, I was wanting to uh, do my dissertation in, in other areas. My wife kept on saying, why don't you do your dissertation in Acts? And I said, no, I'm going to do it in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and I just kept on hitting uh, a wall. And um, one thing led to another. And um, I was presenting a paper on Acts. And um, and told my dissertation advisor about it. And he says, you do realize that that's a dissertation topic. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, the paper went well. And um, after, uh, you know, some soul searching, uh, my dissertation grew out of that. And, and I haven't gotten out of Acts since. So, <laughs> that's, <great. laughs> so that's where I am. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is just a wonderful, wonderful book for sure. And so um, this this coming Sunday is um, what the church calls uh, Pentecost, and uh, Pentecost is, um, I think, most clearly and lengthily talked about in the Book of Acts. Uh, certainly references both in Jewish culture and other places, and then also um, also some other references, like uh, uh, perhaps the end of John has this story of of Jesus breathing on the disciples. It kind of has a as a hint of, of some of the, um, the, the Pentecost uh, story, uh, of course, told very differently. But Pentecost is, is not just uh, the, uh, the arrival of the Spirit as the Christian church celebrates it. Pentecost is a particular Jewish gathering. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about some of the background of what, what Pentecost would have meant to these young Jews who were gathered together in Acts chapter 2, why they were there, and, um, and and what it was they were celebrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and yeah, as, as you mentioned it, uh, as far as the New Testament, it is interesting that uh, yeah, other references to it in the New Testament are are rather vague. Uh, that you know, only in Acts do you have it explicitly mentioned. Uh, you know, so it is. You're you're right. Uh, it's it's mentioned in the Old Testament, but only here in. You know, in Acts, but it 
uh, you know, it, it is a Jewish celebration, uh, you know, and that's what brings uh, the, the people there. So it's, it's, it's the second of three important uh, Jewish feasts. So, you know, I think most of us are really familiar with, uh, you know, what would be kind of, you know, two feasts that are really kind of combined together uh, in, in Passover and uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's usually kind of combined together. Uh, so that's, that's one. And then you have Pentecost, which is, you know, which is the second one. So the, uh, uh, so Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is, is of, of course, the celebration of, um, you know, ba basically, you know, the Exodus, you know, God's deliverance, uh, you know, in, in that respect. Um, you know, but Pentecost, uh, you know, ends up being this, uh, this feast that is uh, associated with, you know, uh, you know, with the law and, and, and with covenant. Uh, you know, so, you know, it was, it was associated then uh, with, uh, you know, with, with God gathering a people, uh, you know, God, uh, you know, establishing the people in terms of, of the giving of the law. So it was associated uh, you know, then with, you know, God giving the, the law to Moses uh, uh, at Mount Sinai. Um, yeah, uh, and, you know, uh, it's, it's often, you know, it's, it is associated with the, with the Jewish, you know, it is, it is the Jewish feast of, of Shabbat or, um, you know, the, um, you know, the, uh, the the feast of you know, of weeks or the festival of weeks you know in in that respect uh, you know so the or the festival you know of of wheat you know in in that respect you know um, and, and it's Tim you know I, th I think you've you preached recently from the book of Ruth and so um, you know so that that book is often associated with you know with this particular uh, you know feast in in that respect. So the people would come, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and in fact, you know, there's there's kind of debate on this. Uh, some scholars think that this feast actually has become, you know, by the first century, more important than Passover, even, you know, so that there are more people who come, uh, you know, particularly because of the importance of the law, uh, you know. Uh, you know the 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 law became more uh, became prominent you know, among the Jews during the exile, uh, you know, and so even though there's the uh, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, the law has become central, especially for Jews around the world, uh, the scattered Jews, the diaspora, you know. So you know, so this feast in particular is what uh, you know what unifies. Uh, you know the the Jewish people in in that respect and and brings them uh, brings them together. Um, what's you know what's interesting is is how Luke um, ties in some of the tradition, you know that's also uh, associated with uh, you know with with Pentecost, the giving of the law and you know and and the like. You know so for instance when uh, when the Holy Spirit comes. And, uh, you know, and, and the description is, is that they began to speak in other languages. Uh, you know, you know, oftentimes people will um, interpret this in other sorts of ways. 
uh, you know, sometimes, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, you know, charismatic traditions, you know, will interpret this in terms of, you know, of particular practices that, you know, that they have. But this really goes back to, um, you know, uh, to Jewish tradition, you know, where, um, you know, uh, you know, in in some some uh, Jewish writings, they describe that when the uh, when the law was given. Uh, the Jews began to speak in other languages, you know, that, uh, um, you know, to, to express that this law was, was not just simply for them, but it, again, is this, this unifying presence, you know, this unifying sense of bringing God's people together, you know, in, in that respect. Yeah. Um, you know, also this, uh, you know, th this description of tongues of fire on each of them, uh, you know, this is a kind of description that we find, you know, I, again, in Jewish tradition, uh, you know, uh, you know in, in terms of, of power and purity, uh, you know, these descriptions are a part of Jewish tradition as well, you know, with this giving of the law to God's people uh, associated, uh, you know, again, you know, uh, you know, that gets associated with, you know, with this particular, um, with this particular uh, feast as well. So, um, so with this being a, what what's clearly a very Jewish happening, mm -hmm. and Luke and Acts uh, being written to um, Theophilus, either a person mm -hmm. who's a lover of God or anyone who's a lover of God, and, and that being a very, uh, I, I believe, Roman patron, correct? Mm -hmm. What is it that um, that Luke expects um, Romans to be catching here? If this is such a Jewish happening. Um, what is it that the reader who is Gentile is 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 catching or missing in this happening, or is Pentecost a big enough celebration within at this point a um, a, a Jewish infused church that there's an understanding just of what's happening with Pentecost, or is the average Gentile reader like you and I, without deep studying, mm -hmm. just kind of like letting it go over our head, all of these significant things that are mm -hmm. happening? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, yeah, there's there's no doubt that this is very very Jewish. You know, at you know at you know at the beginning, uh, yeah, um, and and yet um, you know the you know, you know someone like Theophilus who um, who may be you know a you know, a Gentile uh, you know kind of kind of reader doesn't seem to be someone who is just kind of, uh, uh, you know, an average Gentile who's pulled off the street. Uh, you know, he, you know, he seems to be someone who has already been attracted to Judaism as well. Um, you know, so he seems to be like someone like, uh, like Cornelius in chapter 10. Um, you know, Cornelius was, uh, uh, was a Roman centurion uh, who was uh, who was Gentile, who who had not converted to Judaism, um, but he worshipped at the at the Jewish synagogue, and he's described as being very pious. You know, he seems to be described as one who um, who has faith in God. Uh, you know, in in fact, you know, one could only hope that you know all Jews were as faithful as he you know, as as Cornelius is. Uh, you know, in fact, if you know, by the time you get to, to Acts chapter ten, you know, we we encounter a number of Jewish persons who um, 
yeah, yeah, in you know, just in terms of you know the faith scale and and their 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 lives, they don't measure up nearly as well as Cornelius does. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and so so Theophilus, you know, if if he's Gentile, is is probably very much like Cornelius. Okay. Um, yeah, so yeah, um, yeah, so he seems to be um yeah, he seems to be um fairly well versed in the um yeah in in what we would call the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the of the Jewish scriptures. Um, you know, so he seems to know about these things. Um, you know, but he just hasn't necessarily converted uh because there are these, you know, there are some barriers uh you know that you know that have kept you know, uh Gentiles from converting, you know, uh barriers such as circumcision, you know, that uh you know that especially for someone like Cornelius as a Roman uh you know in the military uh would have prohibited him you know from uh you know from from being a part of the military you know in in that respect. Yeah. So this really helps then um uh what's happening here in Acts chapter two is going to become through the book of Acts, a, a missionary movement towards the world. But, mm -hmm. but what we have is, um, is this uh, fairly famous verse in Acts chapter one, uh, uh, chapter one, verse eight, but you'll receive mm -hmm. the power of the Holy Spirit comes in you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That may have scandalized some people who heard that, that wanted to keep this uh, really, really Jewish. Mm -hmm. But then also I think about Jesus um, fairly regularly telling um, his disciples and hearers that, um, that, that he's, he's come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And there is something about this happening on the day or the celebration of the law that kind of embodies Jesus's, mm -hmm. Jesus's understanding that um, both, both in terms of what he says in Acts 1-8, but then also in his understanding of not abolishing the law, it seems important that this movement of the spirit is happening during a celebration of the law because this is not finally going to be about undoing what God has done for millennia through a particularly chosen people. This is about gathering them up and sending them out, it seems to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and, and, and what we end up having is, you know, um, you know and, and, we, and we see this even on the, on the day of Pentecost, that um you know there's there's nothing that says you know okay um you know the spirits come now you don't have you know we can get rid of the law mm -hmm. yeah um you know so um you know in in fact what's you know what's interesting at the at the end of chapter two is um or even you know here in chapter two at the beginning um you know pentecost occurs you know i believe at the temple rather than the upper room uh, you know, which, which well, you're going to have to say more about that because I think that's going to be shocking. Yeah. Well, you know, so at the, at the very beginning, it says when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And it talks about this house. Um, but we're talking about 120, you know, believers. Um, I, I don't know about you, um, you know, but, um, you know, even my house, uh, would have a hard time holding 120 people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we're talking about, you know, modern, modern homes, uh, you know, in the ancient world, um, homes weren't nearly as spacious as they are now. Uh, you know, and so, 
there's there's simply no way that you know a person's home, even an upper room, would have held 120. Uh, you know, and so if we go back into chapter one, there's there's a shift. Uh, I think in terms of location between verse 14 and verse 15, you know, where they do return initially to the upper room, but then when it shifts to uh, you know the small group of the apostles along with some of the women. And then verse 15, when it's now 120, I think there's a shift in location. And Luke isn't really clear about where that location is. You know, but when we get to chapter two, I, you know, I think the only plausible location uh, is, uh, you know, is the temple. Okay. Um, you know, especially given the fact that if, we, if we're talking about the Feast of Pentecost, and you know, and they're gathered together. These are these are good Jews. Uh, you know, uh, they you know they are 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 faithful in their practices. Uh, so where else would they be? Uh, you know, but uh, but celebrating what God is doing. Uh, you know, Luke Luke is a little different in his account than some of the other Gospels, where some of the other Gospels you know, we'll have the apostles and others kind of huddled, you know, uh, you know, tucked away, afraid of, of, you know, of, you know, per perhaps, you know, um, you know, being arrested themselves. Luke doesn't give any indication of that. So, you know, I think they're in the, in the temple and that's why they get noticed when, uh, you know, when they are, they start proclaiming and people, you know, and there's the noise like the rushing wind, uh, you notice it's metaphoric, but there's still this noise, you know, uh, the clamoring, I think with, if you have 120 people speaking in other languages, uh, there's going to be quite a commotion, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, you know, yeah, yeah, and, you know where where else will 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 this be noticed? You know than at the temple versus down some narrow side street. Uh, you know in you know, in that respect. You know so. Uh, and so, so, so the whole house where they were sitting um, it could also then connect to the idea that the temple was the house of God, right? Yes. So it may not be a particular house down the road, but it could be the house of God. Mm -hmm. exactly exactly which then i'm not sure how luke ends but um but some of some of the gospels upon jesus's crucifixion the temple is rattled the the sheet is torn uh, that, that there's mm -hmm. something about god's activity in these days which are centralized and located in the temple that would also help connect this right right yeah ex exactly yeah, and you know, and even luke um you know in luke's account after jesus is buried uh, or at least placed in the in the tomb. Luke even mentions, uh, you know, and he has just this this kind of side note. Uh, you know, uh, at the end of of chapter twenty three, he says, uh, you know, uh, about the women, and they rested uh, on the Sabbath, uh, you know, according to the scriptures or something along that line. Something that the other gospels don't even mention. Well, you know, that word rested has this idea of Sabbath. That's what Sabbath means is to, you know, is to, to rest in that respect. So the connotation is even there that the, um, you know, that the women Sabbathed, uh, you know, and so the likelihood is, is that they, again, went to the temple. Uh, 
um, which I contend that's the reason why the women recognize, you know, in Luke's gospel, uh, you know, when they are told by the by the men at the tomb uh, or the angels, uh, yeah, and it says, then they remember Jesus' words. I contend it's because they went, they they were worshiping. Yeah, um, they, they aren't like uh, they don't do what we typically do. You know, when things go bad, you know, they uh, they go sulk. They, uh, you know, they they give up. Notice when when things went bad, they kept putting one foot in front of the other and did what the only thing they knew what to do is they kept their eyes on God you know, yeah. in those moments. And they continued to worship when they didn't know what else to do. Uh, you know, and so you have something of the same image in that respect. Here are the disciples do when they don't know what else to do. Uh, you know, they were told by Jesus to wait. You know, and so what do they do? They go, you know, during this celebration, they're probably not in too celebratory of a mood, but they go, you know, to, uh, in this feast uh, you know, and go to the temple. And that's when the spirit comes. That is fantastic. And that would also explain then why there's this whole crowd of people from um, places that I both know on the map and places I can't even pronounce correctly <laughs> uh, gathered together. And, um, and, and they are amazed by a noise they hear, which um, mm -hmm. might be the sound uh, that was like a violent wind. It might be uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues, but it says they heard this loud noise, whatever it is, there's noise happening, there's commotion happening. Mm -hmm. And what they're amazed about isn't that someone's making a commotion. It's that a particular kind of Jew, Galileans, um, which, which are apparently um, throughout the Gospels and Acts, some sort of distinguishing feature about them that causes Galileans to stand out. They're easy to spot among Jews for some reason. Mm -hmm. They recognize them as Galileans, and they hear them in their own native language. And then there's this whole list, uh, uh, mm -hmm. Parthians, Elamites, Mesopotamians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what they're doing is they're testifying and declaring God's wonders in the temple at this point. And so um, you, you mentioned Diaspora earlier. You mentioned maybe why they're there. But this, this uh, Pentecost is a... Um, uh, it, it's certainly a pilgrimage feast. And so there are people from the, out the entire world here. And, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I suppose you covered this a little bit, so I don't want to overdo it, but um, people from all over the world, these people aren't just Gentiles. These are, these are Jews from the diaspora, mm -hmm. right? Who've come to celebrate right. the law. And um, I, I don't know that they're expecting some sort of a show like this. There's sort of a formality to, to what they're expecting, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a plan for how the day is supposed to go. Right, right. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about the, the list is, is that um, if, if you would put this on a map you know, and, and look at it, uh, you know, Jerusalem ends up being in the center. You know, and then all these other places kind of encircle Jerusalem. You know, so it's 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 like you have this uh, this visual map, so to speak, where uh, you know Jerusalem ends up being in the center, and all these other places encircle it. 
you know, so it's, uh, 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 so, you know, so they, they've all come together, you know, in this, in this one place, it's kind of like they all converged, you know, in, in that respect, uh, but it focuses on God doing this thing, you know, uh, brought together, you know, here in this one place, you know, so, um, you know, so, you know, you had mentioned, um, you know, Acts 1-8, yeah, uh, you know where you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Yeah, uh, you know, and this and this once again pictures that you know where you know um, where they have come there, they have converged there. Uh, you know, uh, but then you know uh, the rest of Acts is going to be going out. You know, in in essence from here. Uh, you know, in in that respect. Um, you know, but they do hear. Um, you know, and the and the wording here is. You know, is that uh, you know that they hear in their languages? You know, and we have and we have two different words here in you know in this passage. You know, one is the word that uh, you know that we can just translate tongues. You know, but the other word, the Greek word, we get the English word dialect from it. Uh, you know, uh, so we translate it native language, and they seem to be used as as synonyms in in that respect. And that's and that's the reason why. Um, you know, a, a lot of translations will uh, will use language here. Uh, you know, in this in this passage, uh, the you know the idea that uh, you know that you know even even though probably everyone here spoke enough Greek, you know, or you know, or, or Aramaic, you know, uh, you know, so that they could converse. Uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, you know, still hearing in their own native language enables them to understand um, more fully than um, if they're speaking in a secondary language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's great. You know, in that respect. So the transition here to Peter's sermon is, mm -hmm. um, to me, one of the funniest parts of the whole Bible. And, yeah. and I, I don't know if it's funny to me because I grew up in Christian circles where, uh, where drinking alcohol was seen as a sin next to cursing God or uh, blasphemy. <laughs> uh, but it is hysterical to me that, um, that there are those who just kind of passed off this happening as they've had too much wine, which, you know, I mean, I went to high school. I've heard that joke before. Everyone makes that joke eventually when someone's acting a fool. But it's particularly mm -hmm. Peter's response that cracks me up so much, where his defense for it not being alcohol is just that it's nine in the morning and who's drinking by now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, yeah, it it's it's like yeah, if yeah, uh, yeah, if 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 someone's really a drunk, you know, you 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 could have drunk, uh, could have drank, you know, that that early, I suppose. Yeah. So. <laughs> I went to a a, a Patriots Super Bowl parade a couple years ago. I know most people listening are probably booing because I'm a Patriots fan, but um, it was it was early in the morning. People got there at eight or nine in the morning. And waited so that they had a good spot. And there were uh, there was someone who um, who had clearly been uh, drinking all night. Now, for the most part, this was a, a family celebration. We had kids out of school all around us. Uh, but there was one one person, maybe twenty five years ago. We were all very very nervous for this person that they might code. They had over over drank <laughs> just clearly. And uh, they were in serious danger leaning against a wall. But it was nine in the morning when we saw them. I don't know that Peter's, <laughs> uh, Peter's defense is ubiquitous, but people seem to buy it. So take it for what it's worth. But every time yeah. I read that, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. So, but but Peter, uh, Peter uh, this just amazes me. Um, 
I, I rarely, when I want to make a big defense or a big speech or a big sermon or anything like that, just quote scripture. And Peter immediately connects what's happening to his understanding of the prophet Joel. Is there something significant about Joel, which is, um, uh, and, and I mean, no disrespect to anyone that I know, but if I just walk through the circles of Christians that I know and said, hey, what's the, what's the, the, uh, the book of Joel about? <laughs> I would be shocked if I got any kind of coherent answer. It's not famous. It's not, it's not one of those Old Testament books where people go to or they think of on a regular basis. If you want people to quote the Old Testament or tell you Old Testament stories, they tell you about Ruth and, um, and Queen Esther, and they quote Psalms and Proverbs, right? And Peter goes right to Joel. What is happening there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah he's yeah making yeah making this this reference yeah uh, yeah in in this passage uh, you know which um, you know he's yeah uh, you know re referring to you know to what you know what God is you know you know is 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 going to be doing you know in those you know in those particular days you know in these in these last days. Um, yeah, and and by last days, you know, he's not talking about, um, you know, uh, you know, like we like some people will think, you know, in terms of revelation or something like that, you know. But, uh, you know, but yeah, you know, uh, but talking about what you know, what God is, you know, you know, is is going to be doing in, you know, it, you know in terms of the restoration of Israel and uh, you know, and God's promises in in that respect, and uh, you know. Um, yeah, but it's um, yeah, but it's interesting in the you know in the verses prior to that, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's talking about how God is going to vindicate, you know, for you know for what you know what Israel you know has you know has gone through, you know, you know, and so you know in in particular that you know the the restoration, you know, you know after exile. You know, uh, you know, and the and the like, you know, and so it's you know, it's it's interesting, you know, the the verses just before, you know, talk about um, you know, you will eat in plenty and be satisfied. You know, my people will never again be put to shame. Uh, you know, you'll know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I, the Lord, you know, am your God, and there is no other. You know, and so there's the you know, and yeah, you know, yeah, and it also says, you know, the very last, uh, you know, of it, you know, and my people will never again be put to shame, you know, and so there are these, you know, these these wonderful promises of God, you know, in terms of how God is going to, um, yeah, um, if 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 I can use this expression, how how God will make God's people great again, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, I I realize we've we've heard that in our politics, you know, you know, in our country, you know, at, you know, at times, you know, but you know, but this is, um, you know, this is, you know, God, you know, saying, you know, you you've you know you've suffered under judgment, uh, you know, and you know, I'm yeah, I'm going to bring you back. You know, uh, you know, and you're going to know what it's going to be like to be my people. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and there's these these wonderful promises. Uh, you know, in in that respect, and and what's important to see here is is that, 
you know, is, is that God, you know, God has made these promises, you know, and the people, you know, and so, you know, yeah, and so part of what we've had with this, you know, with this feast has been, you know, not only the celebration of the law, you know, and this, you know, but also this covenant renewal, but also this anticipation that, you know, that, here, the, here they are, you know, uh, even in those days, they're still an oppressed people, you know, and so part of the question becomes, you know, um, you know, ag again, almost to use the, the language that we've heard, you know, we, you know, that we've heard, you know, but, but when is God, wh when is God going to, uh, you know, to fulfill those promises? You know, and when is God going to make really make us great again? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, when's God going to fulfill those promises? You know, and and so you know, so when you know when so when you have these extraordinary occurrences, uh, you know, and and the Spirit coming, and you know, and this proclamation, you know, then for Peter to say, um, "No, we're not drunk." But this is what, what the what Joel said, you know, and then he starts to declare, you know, this is what this is what God declared that I will pour out my spirit, you know. He's basically saying, um, this is God fulfilling those very promises, yeah. You know, uh, and you know, and he's you know, and he's pulling those promises to the forefront. And, and there's something about this that's almost a democratization of the spirit too, not so much mm -hmm. undoing a people, but that the spirit will come on sons and daughters, young men, old men, that this isn't about, um, about putting in another strong king to make Israel strong. This is not about creating a tax base. It's not about creating <laughs> a military. It's not about creating might, mm -hmm. but that the spirit is coming upon, upon the people of God's people and not, um, Mm -hmm. uh, which, which, which I don't think, um, I don't think then like shifts power in Israel near as much as it just makes, makes it a God who's personal, a God, a God mm -hmm. who is with his people, not like the actual people are going to be free to experience the spirit. It's not going to be, a, um, a priests are made great or Kings are made great or anything like that, but that it's, it's the commoners who can experience the spirit of God moving. And that's part of what's going to be great is that God is for, people mm -hmm. particulars this is particularly for you someone as common as these galileans at a festival can experience it and joel understands that it's the spirit is going to pour out on sons and daughters of us as well mm -hmm. yeah 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 and and that and that's that this filling of of the spirit you know in in some respects kind of goes back to the creation story even in genesis 2 you know when god created the first human and breathe God's spirit in, yeah, you, know, uh, you know, and so it uses that kind of of imagery almost to basically say that, uh, you know, that that God is it, God is the one who's going to give life here. Uh, but you're right, you know, that it's not going to be like it had been, where it was only selected, you know, just a few selected individuals who would be God's spokespersons. Yeah. Uh, you know, here, you know, you're right. You know, it's it's going to be sons and daughters. 
young men and old men, not with the idea that it can't be women too, you know, but it's, you know, it's young and old, uh, you know, you know, even slaves, both, you know, men and women. Uh, so you're right, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's across the spectrum. Uh, you know, so gender is no longer an issue. Age yeah. is no longer an issue. Um, you know, all, you know, are, you know, are, are, are enabled because God's spirit, you know, in, you know, enlivens them, you know, in that respect as, as God's people. Uh, you know, and, you know, and even when you have this, um, these images of, you know, these cosmic kinds of images, you notice in, in that respect, it's, it's not even limited to, you know, in some respects to people, you know, it's cosmic in nature. You know, it, it's like God just, you know, God, you know, infuses all of creation in that respect. And then he even, you know, um, you know when he democratizes it, as, as you, you know, put it so well, then he says something even radical, even more radical in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, uh, yeah and this is where I don't even think Peter re recognized that initially. Yeah, uh, because if he recognized it, he wouldn't have had the issues then later on in chapter 10. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and so, you know, so here is Peter, you know, quoting this, you know, and he doesn't even realize at this point how radical this is, you know, that, you know, you know, do, you know, I think he really thinks that everyone means everyone who's Jewish. Yeah, uh, you know, and yet if, if everyone really means everyone, that means, you know, everyone, period, you know, no qualification, you know, uh, you know but he doesn't, he doesn't even fully realize the full implications because it's like, he can't even imagine yeah, you know, what everyone could really mean. Yeah, you know, yeah, in, that's in great. that respect. So I kind of want to uh, draw us out and pull us out and end here. We don't want to talk about this all day uh, and make the podcast go forever. But <laughs> one of the things that's distinctive about the Church of the Nazarene is um, our history from the very beginning of our denomination of ordaining women. And, and the pushback that I hear as a pastor, um, when we do membership class, or, uh, or even when I'm, I'm teaching students from the Church of the Nazarene who still don't quite get it, is often located in a couple of verses that um, are in Paul about prohibiting women from speaking. And one of the things that I'm always amazed about is um, when there are moments that feel like the Bible has uh, contradictory statements, which one rises to the top is always fascinating to me. And, and, and I wonder if Paul rises to the top because Paul often writes uh, trying to demand his authority. He is demanding that he's an apostle and his connection to that is a little more tenuous than say Peter's uh, in the early church because uh, he saw the Lord um, after the Lord was risen on the side of the road. And so I think Paul was fighting for his authority a lot. And so he wrote in a way fighting for his authority. And so a lot of his sentences are much more declarative and forceful. He's often addressing church conflict and sometimes you need to be forceful when you're doing that et cetera et cetera and peter um uh, peter no one ever really questions peter right peter peter's authority is pretty clear um from the moment that he's willing to accept it um but but peter here is quoting joel with a lot of authority saying your sons and daughters will prophesy 
and then it says it again it goes back on my servants both men and women um i wonder why mm -hmm. this isn't ever raised to the top when we're talking about uh the proclamation of the gospel the prophesying of the good news of jesus christ uh as much as as paul's later words are this to me seems like a pretty clear uh, and, and strong advocation uh, for the fact that God is working in women in the same way that he's working in men now that the spirit has come. And so um, so could you just share a little bit about a, a reading of, of that particular issue, both here and in Paul, and, and why it is that, um, that it's, it's not non-biblical to... Um, to say that that women have have a biblical authority to be ordained or to preach, mm -hmm. yeah, and and that's a, a a really important issue. Not you know not only you know in terms of the contemporary issue, but also an interpretive issue, you know, as to how how do we interpret different texts? Uh, because we do have different texts that seem to say on a number of issues different kinds of things. Uh, you know, for instance, as another issue, you know, um, you know, Paul will say, um, uh, uh, you know, be subject to the governing authorities, you know, and Revelation basically says, if I can paraphrase, that's a really bad idea. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so how do you, you know, how do you weigh those, you know, those two? Yeah. So in, in this, in this particular, you know, case, um, you know, you're right, you know, um, you know, here's a text right at the very beginning that says, um, you know, um, if I can paraphrase, men and women, young and old, will prophesy. And if we, you know, if we look at, you know, at Acts, you know, admittedly, more women or more men do preach, but we have someone like Aquila and Priscilla, uh, you know, uh, but, you know, Priscilla is the one who's typically named first. And she's the one who seems to be the teacher and preacher uh, of that, you know, of that pair, uh, you know, and, you know, and so she lives that out, you know, in, you know, uh, you know in, in respect. Um, but Paul, you know, does say in, in 1 Timothy, um, you know, women keep silent. Um, one, one of the first principles, uh, you know, that uh, in, in interpreting letters, yeah, uh, there are a couple of principles about them is that they are personal, uh, they are circumstantial, they're situational. Uh, yeah, um, and so because they are situational, uh, uh, you, you never take a situ you never take something that is in a letter and make it universal, you know, without uh, first doing a lot of interpretive work first. And so, in the in the case of First Timothy, you know what one of the things that we we recognize is is that what seems to be the case in that situation is that uh, you know is that there was some false teaching that was occurring, uh, you know, and and what was probably happening is is that in that situation, in a in a city where uh, you know where there was. Uh, you know the worship of of a goddess, uh, you know, and this elevation of 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 women prophets in that particular context. There was probably some false teaching that was occurring in 
you know, uh, you know, that was brought in, you know, through some women in that context. And so probably in that situation, Paul was saying, you know, uh, to that situation, okay, ladies, um, you, you know, if I can paraphrase it, you need to tone it down. You know, uh, you know, it's, you know, what you're teaching is incorrect and that needs to stop. Now, does he, does he intend that to be universalized? Yeah. Yeah. So for instance, would he, would he want Priscilla to stop, top, uh, stop teaching when Priscilla in other contexts, uh, you know, we have in the book of Acts that she teaches Apollos and Paulos ends up going to Corinth and becomes an encourager to that church, that would be a mistake. Um, you know, that, that would be, uh, you, know, you know, to use a, a, a different situation entirely. Uh, you know, Tim, you know, it would, it would be like uh, um, you teaching your daughters in, in softball that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, um, if, if they're playing second base, that uh, you know that if there's a if if there's a grounder to them, uh, you know that they you know whenever there's a grounder to second base, that they always uh, uh, throw to the to first base. Uh, you know, uh, you know, yeah, that would that would would be a misunderstanding. Now there would be certain situations where that would be appropriate, but uh, you know, but. Yeah, you, know, uh, you know, but there's other, you know, other scenarios, you know, in 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 that respect. Yeah, yeah, and so to universalize a, a particular, you know, so if you know if you know if if for instance your daughter had you know in a particular play had gone to second base and first base was the most appropriate, uh, uh, you know, to you know uh, you know to take that particular instance and universalize it you know, would be to misunderstand, you know, uh, you know, what your instruction was. Yeah, you're teaching if this situation comes up again, this is the better choice. Right. Um, and, and so, and so in, in this particular instance, uh, you know, Paul, you know, Paul taught, you know, uh, you know, in that instance, but part of what we have to do is we look at the situation, but we need to back up and ask, what what was the real principle at stake here, you know, uh, you know, and and start asking what gospel principles were at stake, rather than taking the specific instruction and universalizing it. It's more than likely that there is a gospel principle that was at stake that may be mo much more applicable than the specific, uh, you know, the specific words on the page, so to speak. Yeah, you know, if that if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, and when it comes and, to when it comes to the issue of um, of who who should be a preacher and who shouldn't, anyways, I mean, I think one of the real lessons of of Acts two is uh, we we need to sit around and discern where the spirit is moving, and mm -hmm. not not necessarily ask questions of who is this, where do they come from, what is their gender, what is their skin color, but as a church mm -hmm. gather and say, is the spirit moving here? Right, and that's the better question I think out of Acts two. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and, and that's the and that's the key all you know all through scripture is is asking asking good questions, you know, rather than just simply taking what's the words on the page and you know and running with you know particular words. Um, you know, it's it's like later, you know, later on, 
um, you know, the very end of the chapter, uh, you know, the, the last verse, uh, the last sentence says, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I've heard lots of sermons focus on that and suggest that if, uh, you know, that that's, uh, that that's all about, you know, churches needing to, uh, to be growing. And if they're not growing, then they're not, uh, they're not being faithful. Um, I, do, I don't think that's what Luke was trying to say at all. Mm-hmm. You know, this was simply a sign, you know, uh, using, using you know what what ancient people believed you know uh you know to be a sign about you know how god was in their midst uh you know and so the question i think becomes you know what's what's evidence of god in our midst uh you know it yeah um my my first church in upstate new york the um the town had grown from three thousand to two thousand uh, you know, in the decade before I got there. Um, yeah, it may be that the church wouldn't really grow all that much in a town that was, was declining in population. Uh, yeah, um, but that, that wouldn't mean that God's presence wasn't there. Right, right. Uh, yeah, um, and, and yet, yeah, and, and yet when I would hear that from, I, I won't say what kind of church officials would oftentimes preach those kinds of messages, it would, um, you know, it would, it would make me rather discouraged as a pastor, uh, because, you know, my, my church wasn't growing in those, you know, in those kinds of ways, uh, you know, but, um, you know, there were lots of other things in this paragraph, you know, that ended the chapter that my church was doing. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, uh, you know could yeah you know, uh, you know that were also signs that God was there. Absolutely, well, this is great. Thank you so much for joining me and walking through some of the technicalities behind Acts chapter two and what God is doing at Pentecost. Thanks for helping connect it to our world today, and um, and I really really appreciate your time. Right. A lot of fun. Thanks, right. Tim. Thank you for joining us for Through Life's Crossroads. This has been a ministry of Crossroads Church with Pastor Jake and Pastor Tim. We encourage you to continue to engage with us online throughout the week on Facebook at Crossroads Church of the Nazarene and also on Instagram, Crossroads Naz Church. Thanks for joining us for this episode.